0: On September 5th, 1932, the body of MGM executive Paul Byrne was found with a bullet hole in his head lying in front of a mirror drenched in his wife's favorite perfume in the master bedroom of their Beverly Hills mansion. His wife, none other than the notorious fame whore Jean Harlow. His body was found with a suicide note that read, quote, dearest, dear, Unfortunately, this is the only way to make good of the frightful wrong I've done you and wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you, Paul. You understand last night was only a comedy. End quote. I'm your host, Ansley, and welcome to Hollywoodland Unsolved. Unsolved. I must warn you that this episode may be frightening to listeners under the age of 13, so listener discretion is advised. The death was ruled a suicide all too quickly by authorities, and as was the norm back then, the studio was called upon the discovery of Byrne's death instead of the police. So what happened that frightful night? Paul Byrne was born in Germany in 1889 as Paul Levy. He left school at just 14, but has been described as one of the most brilliant minds in Hollywood. Some even call him a genius. After leaving school, Byrne made his way to New York, where he worked as a stage actor, before transitioning to work for a film company in Toronto, Canada. In 1926, at the age of 37, he moved to Los Angeles, where he stayed until his death six years later. Byrne worked as a quote, film cutter and script editor before transitioning to directing. After working on a few pictures, he began his job as a supervisor at MGM. Byrne has been described as being, well, less than attractive. With a small frame and quote, only being as tall as a girl, Byrne is not the type one would expect to bag a hot Hollywood starlet. But he did have a sensitive side that was well-loved throughout Hollywood. He was nicknamed Hollywood's father confessor. He married Jean Harlow in July of 1932. Jean Harlow, born Harlene Carpenter to a successful dentist and his wife, was a stunning up-and-comer from Kansas City, Missouri. She moved to Los Angeles with her then-husband, Charles McGrew. Harlow struggled to find parts, and her marriage to McGrew crumbled. After their split, Harlow won the lead role in the talkie remake of Hell's Angels and became an overnight success. Everyone wanted a piece of this stunning new actress. Her staples were her bleach blonde hair and plunging neckline. She never left the house without them. So much so that Los Angeles Times called her quote, sexquisite. Gossip columns recounted every move and she loved it. She was seen with the top producers and directors in Hollywood and wasted no time using her good looks and charm to help her climb up the Hollywood ladder. So it should be no surprise that Byrne was the one who got Harlow's contract, purchased, and transferred from the not-as-notable Howard Hughes to the mega-successful MGM studio. That's the kind of boyfriend any Hollywood ladder climber would want if you ask me. After just months of dating, Byrne proposed to Harlow and just two days after the couple wed. So little went into planning the wedding that it's said that Harlow didn't even have time to get a real wedding dress. 150 guests gathered at the home of Harlow's mother, and the couple were married on July 2, 1932. According to reports, they took just one day off and then went back to work. Their marriage was short-lived, though. Just after four months after the couple got married, Byrne was found with a bullet hole in his head in the home he shared with Harlow. After the nuptials, Harlow was reported looking radiant and happy, but the same cannot be said about Byrne. He's said to have become paler, haggard, and a version of himself within weeks of the couple's wedding. Rumors began to fly, as they usually do in Hollywood. Some speculated that the source of turmoil was the grand home that Byrne had purchased for Harlow in Benedict Canyon. The home, a two-story Bavarian-style mansion situated on a five-acre lot in a Beverly Hills neighborhood. The home has since been split up into three separate homes, with the carriage houses being converted into full homes. It's reported that Harlow was not a fan of this home and wanted to sell it, while Byrne wanted to keep it and build a home there together. This seems very interesting to me that a couple would have that level of contempt over a house. But I guess it's possible. Quote, on September 5th, 1932, just four months after his marriage to Jean Harlow, Paul Byrne was found shot to death in the house. Byrne's butler found his body in his wife's all-white bedroom. He was nude, sprawled out in front of a full-length mirror, and drenched in Jean's favorite perfume. He'd been shot in the head with a 38 caliber revolver, which was laying by his side. On top of that, Byrne had left a cryptic note for Harlow on the side table in the bedroom that read, quote, Dearest dear, unfortunately, this is the only way to make good of the frightful wrong I've done you, and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you, Paul. You understand that last night was only a comedy, end quote. Wait, what? <laughs> Byrne's butler was the one who found him, and yep, just like in basically every other mysterious death or murder at that time, the butler called the studio where Byrne worked instead of calling the police. The studio heads came rushing over to Byrne's house, and still no one called the police. The first to arrive at Byrne's house was MGM co-founder Louis B. Mayer followed by two other studio execs, W.P. Hendry, who is MGM's chief of security, and Irving Thalberg, the other co-founder of MGM. What happened next is unknown to anyone other than those three men, because after their arrival on scene, they waited a whopping two hours to notify the police of Byrne's death. So what did they do during those two hours? And what were they trying to cover up? What we do know is that Mayer took the note left by Byrne, it isn't clear what his intentions were, but, at the advice of the studio, he turned the note over to the authorities. What interested me most about the note is the last section, quote, you understand that last night was only a comedy, End quote. What was he referring to? The cops examined the note and could make nothing of it. Then they went to Harlow's mother's home to question Jean Harlow herself. At that time, it was unclear to the authorities why Miss Harlow had not spent the night in her home with her husband. Apparently they were told by her physician that Harlow was, quote, too hysterical to undergo questioning at this time, end quote. That seems a bit weird, doesn't it? But then again, grief is a weird thing. It's said that she did later speak to authorities, but, quote, was not called as a witness at the inquest, which is unusual to say the least, end quote. According to that inquest, the night before his death, Saturday, Byrne had sent Harlow to spend the evening with her mother, who was apparently home alone. Harlow returned on Sunday and was sent away again by Byrne under the guise that he had work to do, specifically, scripts to read. When Harlow never heard from Byrne later that evening, she apparently simply assumed that he'd fallen asleep, reading the scripts, and thought nothing of it. But that's just one account. Another states that Jean wanted to be alone that evening because she, quote, had a headache, so she went back to her mother's house for some space. I'm sorry, what? If he didn't spend the evening with his wife the night before his death, then what does, quote, you understand, last night was only a comedy mean? This testimony from Harlow raises a lot of questions that the authorities never answered. Either way, Harlow has told two different stories as to why she wasn't at the home that night. That seems strange and worth looking into, right? Well, apparently not. Instead, they went with the easy route and deemed it a suicide. Yet, they continued to investigate and allegedly learned that Byrne was suffering from, quote, physical infirmity, end quote, which apparently made sex with Harlow impossible. So was it embarrassment that made him send Harlow to his mother's house, and was the, quote, comedy he refers to in his note his impotence? For a studio bigwig with a hot Hollywood starlet for a new wife, this would be enough to embarrass anyone. But to the point of death, that might be a bit extreme. But the story doesn't stop there. According to reports, there was another woman in Byrne's life. Well, sort of. Her name was Dorothy Millette. She and Byrne lived together for many years in New York and Toronto before Byrne made his way to Los Angeles. Some accounts state that she was Byrne's estranged wife, but I've found conflicting reports on this. Malat was an aspiring actress who, at just 20 years old, met Byrne, and according to reports she often referred to herself as Mrs. Paul Byrne. Perhaps because she really was married to him? She was institutionalized for an unspecified mental illness, but there is no specific diagnosis that's ever been made for her. And who paid for her medical expenses? Yep, none other than Paul Byrne himself, even after he married Harlow. The big kicker is that Millette mysteriously died the day after Byrne's mysterious death. Coincidence? I think not. And the story doesn't stop there. Apparently cured, Millette was released from the hospital and moved into a hotel in New York, and Byrne made a point to visit her every time he was there. According to reports, she was apparently the sole beneficiary on Byrne's will up until his marriage to Harlow, but more on that later. So it seems like these two had a very serious love connection. If Byrne loved Millette so much, why give her up? Was it for an easier life? As it turns out, on March 17, 1932, just months before Byrne wed Harlow, Byrne received a letter from Millette stating that she was moving from New York to San Francisco. Byrne apparently offered to pay for her life in New York if she continued to live there. She moved into the Plaza Hotel. So it doesn't look like he fully gave her up ever, after all. Once this news became public, Harlow's stepfather issued a statement that Harlow knew nothing of Millette and that she was shocked by the news. This was countered by Byrne's brother, who allegedly said that Millette was common knowledge and even discussed with Harlow before they wed. The day after Byrne's death, Millette was aboard a steamer on the Sacramento River, going from San Francisco to Sacramento. An officer found a woman's coat on the railing, and when the ship docked, no one could account for Millette. According to reports, her body was found in the river by a fisherman just two weeks later. Was this a planned suicide between the star-crossed lovers with a doomed fate? Merely a coincidence? Or was someone behind both deaths of Byrne and Millette? It does seem like a strange coincidence, but then again, Millette was stated to be suffering from mental illness, and that the person she claimed to be closest to in the world did just kill himself. This case was wildly investigated, as many of them were at that time. But with so much speculation, tampering of evidence, and contaminated crime scene, the case stumped authorities. Though it was deemed a suicide, many close to Byrne believed it was a murder. One account states the recounts of those who worked for Byrne. Quote, Davis, Byrne's gardener, believed that it was a murder and said, quote, I thought so from the beginning. He believed that the butler had lied about what had happened. He testified that the butler told the police that Byrne and Harlow were always hugging and kissing and that he sometimes overheard Byrne talking of suicide. The gardener said that the opposite was actually true. He never thought that the couple got along well and he had never once heard Byrne talk about killing himself. He also said that he didn't believe that the suicide note was even written in his employer's handwriting. Irene Harrison, Byrne's secretary, confirmed this, and she also added that Jean Harlow, not Byrne, had been the pursuer in the relationship. She also added that she didn't think that Byrne looked particularly happy at the reception after the wedding ceremony. The most exciting testimony came from Winifred Carmichael, Byrne's cook, she stated that a strange woman had been seen by the household staff on sunday evening the cook stated that the woman's voice which was unfamiliar to her was heard the woman screamed once she also said that she later found a wet woman's bathing suit on the edge of the swimming pool and two empty glasses nearby whoa so if harlow wasn't home at the time who was that woman Could it have been Dorothy Millette? If Harlow had been placed at her mother's house, Byrne could have gotten away with having her over. Apparently, there are no records of the police dusting the glasses for Prince, and no bathing suit was taken into custody. But it was confirmed that a bathing suit was recovered wet, and it was not Harlow's size. Also, there are claims of blood by the pool. Different members of the staff at Byrne's house shared accounts of blood by the pool, yet none were ever confirmed by authorities. This poses a very interesting situation and puts quite a twist on the mysterious death that looked so black and white when we started. So let's look at what could have happened. The first theory is that Byrne really did kill himself. Feeling the pressure of his life with his new wife, his apparent inability to please her, and his looming money problems, Byrne felt trapped and thought that his only way out was suicide. He was apparently known throughout town for going nearly bankrupt, and this was supposedly news to Harlow, though. The couple began fighting over finances. Was the level of financial pressure too much for him? I feel like this theory is a stretch, because the couple had only been married for a few months. If Byrne really was that unhappy, why wouldn't he just leave Harlow? Was it because he couldn't pay her out in a divorce? Or was someone blackmailing him? With his secret love and apparent money problems, Byrne would have been the perfect target for blackmail. Another theory is that Harlow killed Byrne. Whether it was rage or jealousy over his undying love for Millette, his lack of performance in their relationship, his deception on the financial side of things, Harlow was fed up with the mediocre performance of her husband and killed him. It's speculated that the notes found by studio execs was not actually a suicide note at all, but an apology note from a fight the couple had had previously. The execs decided that a suicide would be better for the studio and Harlow rather than letting the public know that a woman had killed one of their most powerful employees. So they made up the story to protect the reputation of the studio, Byrne, and Harlow. Harlow claimed that she knew nothing of Millette. She kept this up even when close friends and family of Byrne came forward saying that Harlow did in fact know of Millette and was aware of her presence in Byrne's life. I don't think that sat well with the Hollywood starlet. One account states, quote, the servants whose quarters were located outside the other end of the property claimed to hear a scream after the gunshot. If Dorothy had killed him, why would she screamed right after the shooting? Perhaps Jean shot Paul. Dorothy Millette could have been so shaken by it that she screamed and ran for her life out of the house and down to the limo that had been waiting to escort her that was ordered by Paul. That would make sense as to why she left her bathing suit behind and why she didn't stop to pick up a shoe that had fallen off while she was running away that also explains why she told the limo driver not to stop and to keep driving faster end quote something i'd like to know is was there gunpowder on burns head if it were a suicide there would be gunpowder if it was a murder there might not have been any But because the studio was called before the police and the crime scene was contaminated, this was something that was never taken into account. Continuing on the thought that Harlow did in fact know about Millette and that she was riddled with jealousy, could Harlow have tried to get Millette out of her life on her own? The same account from earlier states that Harlow had taken a day trip up to San Francisco, where Millette lived, just months before Byrne's death. It's said that she stayed for only an hour before returning to Los Angeles. Did she go up there to confront Millette? Question her about her relationship with Byrne? Plot her murder? Something that's also interesting to note is, according to reports, Byrne's will had originally included Millette a payment of $1,200 per month in perpetuity. That was changed just weeks after Byrne married Harlow. The new will left Byrne's entire estate to Harlow, and had no mention of Millette. Hmm, that seems suspicious to me. Another theory is that Millette killed Byrne and then killed herself. Distraught over being banished to a mental hospital and Byrne starting over with a young Hollywood beauty, Millette sought revenge for the life that she felt should have been hers. If that is the case, I wonder what would have happened if Harlow had been home that evening, would Burn and Harlow both ended up dead? Then there's the theory that Jean's mother is behind Burn's death. Stay with me on this one because it's a doozy. The theory goes like this. Mama Jean was known to be loud, in your face, and had alleged connections to the mob. Apparently she was fed up with her son-in-law due to the problems in his marriage to her beloved daughter and the scandal of him having a secret first wife. Jean and her mom were no strangers to the mob world, and her mother had a reputation for getting what she wanted. The same account from earlier states this as a fact. Quote, Jean dated a gangster who was known as the Al Capone of New Jersey, and he had allegedly, quote, taken care of some blackmailers who threatened to go public with nude photos of Jean in 1917, end quote. Wait. What? So this wouldn't be the first time that Jean's mother had allowed the mob to step in and clean up a mess for Harlow. And on top of that, Byrne was basically broke and needed Harlow to support him and Millette. Quote, Paul was secretly broke and it was evident that he was spending more than he was taking in. He mortgaged his home on Easton Drive for almost face value and then deeded it to his wife, making it look like he gave it to her as a wedding gift, even though Jean didn't like the house, end quote. So could Harlow's mother, her husband, or Jean Harlow herself have set the whole thing up? Did they know that Millette was coming to see Byrne that weekend? Did they quote unquote take care of Byrne and Millette witnessed the whole thing, got spooked and ran away only later to be tracked down and pushed overboard of the ship? As with most of these cases, there are so many theories with so many outcomes, but my gut tells me that this was a murder. I think that what happened was that Harlow did in fact know about Dorothy Millette and Burn's ongoing relations with her. He also allegedly had relations with his secretary, too. I think that she was tired of playing second fiddle in her own marriage and was fed up with Burn's financials. Let me explain. I do think that she was the one who pursued Byrne due to his connections at MGM. Byrne, knowing if he got her contract purchased by MGM she would owe him, made the transaction happen and then proposed to Harlow to ensure that he would get access to the new cash flow that she would have. Harlow agreed and married Byrne, and after doing so, realized his financial situation. After being, quote, gifted the house, having to put up with Byrne's lack of sexual relations to her and the knowledge of his mistress, Harlow had had enough. I think that Harlow invited Millette over with the intention of making it look like a murder-suicide, playing off Millette's reputation of being mentally unstable. Things didn't go as planned, and Harlow was able to kill Byrne, and Millette got spooked and ran. I think that she was tracked down by someone and killed discreetly in order to finish the job and to allow Harlow to keep her reputation. And what about the suicide note? It's alleged that the note came from a personal diary of Burns and was not written as a standalone note. Apparently, one of the studio execs who arrived before the police took the diary from Burns' house, searching it for anything he could use to give the police as a suicide note in order to avoid the scandal of a murder. Another theory is that the note was faked altogether by one of the execs as it was later turned in to the police. Looks like everyone was playing to their own interest in this case. The lot where the house was now has been split up into several properties. I mean, who owns five acres in Beverly Hills nowadays? For this episode, I've shown roughly what the compound would have looked like at the time that it was owned by Byrne Harlow. It's said that the home that was owned by the couple is haunted. Located at 9820 Easton Drive in the 90210 zip code of Beverly Hills, the home has had a number of deaths happen on the lot. Following Byrne's mysterious death, two people drowned in the swimming pool, and later, two former tenants of the house, including Jay Sebring, were victims of the Manson murders. The current owners say they haven't had any issues since buying the home in the late 70s. If you want to check it out, as always, maps and addresses are included on the show notes and on the website. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that Paul was murdered? Was it by Harlow or Millette or someone else? Or was it really a suicide? Tweet me at hollywoodlandpc or email me at hollywoodlandpod at gmail.com and let me know. I love hearing from you guys. As per usual, a complete reference list is included on the show notes and on the website. Next time on Hollywoodland Unsolved, we dive into the mysterious death of Thomas Ince. When a celebration aboard a celebrity ship goes wrong, who is to blame? All elements of Hollywoodland Unsolved are produced by me, with graphics and maps by Brian Balzarini and music by my amazing father.